Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 65, D.L. Hopkins. <clears throat> my name is Curtis Payne. I find it hard to say my name like this on here. It usually has a ring to it. Curtis Payne! Curtis Payne. Uh, it doesn't sound, doesn't sound as good up on the mic with headphones on. <clears throat> Sounds awkward. So speaking of awkward, um, I'm recording this in a hotel room in Wilmington, Delaware. I'm up here for work. It is the day we celebrate Martin Luther King's birthday. I think it's actually his birthday today. I guess that's the the deal. And um, I thought I would I would post this podcast today and not wait till I don't know the normal interval because uh, my conversation with DL was resonant with this holiday or in this recognition of the uh, ongoing struggle for equality in America, the facts and fictions about it, and and then, you know, DL and I just being two men having a conversation, who one of whom happens to be Caucasian and the other who happens to be African American, but both very much Americans and both very much Richmonders, um, born and raised in the old dominion in the in RVA I had first encountered DL as you will hear when I was um I went to see race uh a play a David Mamet play uh put on by Carol Pearsall and a bunch of other folks at the African American Repertory Theater and the uh in that theater I don't know what it's called now that used to be called the Empire Theater uh, I went to see it like last year about a year ago and uh made me really uncomfortable and um, I think it kind of had that effect on a lot of people I thought DL was really amazing in it and I also uh, we, I went to the cast party afterwards and I was really uh, intimidated to talk to him because I basically thought he was the character he was in the play and um, so I didn't that's actually but I did meet some other people there that ended up being on podcasts later <clears throat> but uh, then more recently I was um, on Facebook uh, where I frequently go to get perturbed these days and irritated by the way that we have these soundbite dialogues and and uh, trolly kind of taunting um, posts about social issues. And um, I definitely, you know, I can't blame people who post stuff on Facebook for it affecting me the way it does. I'm usually primed to be irritated by it. That's just my own personal shit, but... Uh, you know, the white privilege thing really has gotten on my nerves a lot, and I've been trying to figure out why that gets on my nerves, and I think it gets on my nerves because it's like what I used to do to this guy I knew who uh, had a trust fund, and he was a punk rock guy, and he ran a punk rock record label, but I always sort of secretly disrespected him because he didn't earn what he had, you know, he, he had a shitload of money because his... Uh, grandparents earned a bunch of money and they set up a trust fund for him and I always kind of felt like that that advantage made him a fake and who the fuck am I to say that I mean the guy was employing me was paying me to work for him he was making a lot of great punk rock records and 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 using that money very well um but you know me being a hater and me being a shithead at the time uh that was the kind of thing I did and so since usually the things that irritate me are things that I do so when people start with this white privilege shit on Facebook, I think they're calling me personally a trust fund kid who doesn't know shit, never had to work for anything, and gets it all easy and, you know, whatever. And so one of these things happened where a mutual friend of 
DLs of mine, Cleve Lamison, who I really actually am not, we're not friends in person. Uh, we went to the same middle school, but we've been friends on Facebook for years and interacting through there around comic book stuff and whatever. And he posted this New Yorker cartoon. It was uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi whispering in Luke's ear, use your white privilege, Luke. And, uh, and I got on there and I was like, all right, so why is that funny? You know, what's, how's the joke breakdown? And, uh, and then DL got on. He was just basically saying the comic was funny. And uh, started to have a conversation about it. And it was a respectable, respectful conversation. And uh, me and my antagonized, my pre-antagonized state, I was just like, you know, basically in so many words. All right, so let's say I acknowledge this. What do I do about it? And, you know, what do I do about white privilege? And, and instead of DL... Saying a whole bunch of other things that I feel like people usually said. He just he said, "Well, Neo, uh, you maybe more will be revealed as you are aware of it, as you pay attention to that this is going on." And the fact that he invoked the Matrix and he invoked science fiction and invoked this totally lateral parallel mythology um, that is a very, I think, powerful kind of mythology. The idea of that we how we unwittingly play a part in. Uh, imprisoning ourselves and others it really got through to me and it put this thing on a whole other level so i wasn't feeling like uh the rich rich kid the trust fund kid that was being called out by the truly cool down kids who really you know had to work for it or really have to suffer for it i felt like i'm being asked by my fellow citizens and fellow americans to acknowledge that this is uh there's still a matrix here you know, a lot of progress has been made, but there's still some bullshit going on that we have to ask for to be changed. We have to make the effort to change it. We have to um, we have to do whatever we have to do in our daily lives to alter the practice of interaction that that you know foments and creates a change. So, you know, this is this is one of those things. Two men, one of whom happens to be Caucasian, the other happens to be African-American, who both like comic books and both love Richmond, Virginia, and both are trying to make their way in this world as 40-something-year-old dudes sitting down and having a conversation for what turned out to be three hours. Don't worry, you're only going to get half of it today, and I'm going to give the other half soon, and uh, I kind of cut it off where it just seemed like a good spot. Hopefully it's a nice cliffhanger, so you'll want to listen to the second part, and... Uh, so let's uh, roll on into that now. Keep talking like we've Sounds good. been talking. Um, so, you know, I saw you in, uh, in Race at the... Um, yes. What is that? Was that the rep? What was that theater? Well, it was that? more of a, um, a collaboration. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Firehouse Theater. Well, I know Carol Pearsall's. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that whole thing happened with Firehouse. Mm-hmm. Carol's a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was running African American Repertory Theater, mm-hmm. and I'm no longer artistic director, okay. uh, just regular random actor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, but at the time, you were yes, I was, and uh, I had an agreement with Carol where uh, African American rep could utilize their stage at Firehouse when they were dark, mm-hmm. and then that changed everything. So we didn't necessarily have a home, but I wanted to support Carol as much as possible. So. We thought, uh, I sat down and met with her and we found a play that could keep her season going mm-hmm. and we can uh, collaborate. And she wasn't with Firehouse anymore at this point. She was No, this is thing. her own thing. Yeah. It was just called 
a Carol Pearsall production. Yeah. Uh, right now they have, uh, I think it's called Fifth Wall. Yeah. And that's Carol and uh, and all Billy, of that. Billy, yeah, BC. Yeah, my my girlfriend who has worked the box office for that. Uh, oh, Ray really? Show. That's how I ended up there. And and I was at the cast party on after the show. Okay. So then I, I remember seeing you there, but I don't think we actually. I up. I came in and dipped out really quickly because yeah. I had some friends from out of town. Yeah. But I met Iman. At Iman that. Shabazz. Yeah. And, yeah. And he's he's been on here. I don't know if he's, he's been on twice. It was uh, actually two one, but we talked. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Iman can ex, uh, he can ex, uh, expound upon many a uh, topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've known Iman for a while. I used to run a uh, uh, spoken word poetry here in town. I had a uh, we had a group long ago. And then um, I, uh, with that, through that group, there was a place down in the bottom mm-hmm. called Underground Railroad. I remember it. Yeah, yeah. So Underground Railroad. Well, you and I are like the same age, right? Yeah, I believe yeah, so. I'm 44. Yeah, I'm a little bit older than you. You are? Yeah, I'm 40, 47. Okay, yeah. so you might have been in like eighth grade when I was in the sixth grade. Probably. Yeah, yeah, probably. And uh, then I, I was a big nerd back then, so I, I spent a lot of time over at, John Marshall, because that's the high school that I went mm-hmm. to. So I'd, I'd go over and I'd have classes and mm-hmm. other stuff. So I didn't. I wasn't in Henderson as much then. I didn't mean to interrupt the train. No, it's about, fine. Because I do want to. I, I remember because I was writing for Punchline. And yeah, so you know Pete Humes. Yeah, yeah. yeah Pete's buddy is. Yeah. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pete's cool as well. Uh, and his wife with WRIR. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so uh, we had a night at the Underground Railroad. Was called what was the name of that thing? I forgot. Was the it name. like a poet poetry spoken slam word? Kind of spoken yeah. Word. yeah. Well, it was just spoken word, and it started out at my apartment. Really, I had uh, I was a part of Jazz Actors Theater, so I had an apartment down on Broad Street, right over where the current Comfort is, mm-hmm. uh, just a little bit over that. And I would um, we would host these nights at my house. And it was just really a way to meet girls, mm-hmm. so because we knew, you know, you knew all the musicians in town, right? And we hang out with them, and we're like, you know, I'm not doing a play this week, and I'm in town, so let's get everybody together, and we'll just start talking in front of that. And we had this huge living room, it was a loft apartment, and um, and we'd hand out flyers of VCU Union. All the nice young mm-hmm. ladies, and of mm-hmm. course, everybody else started showing up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, and we, you know, we had a good time. And yeah. we got, you know, it was it wasn't it was great, but it got too big. Yeah. There were cops coming over. We knew mm-hmm. the, all the police, and they were they said, "Hey, guys, just keep it down a little bit," because mm-hmm. our neighbors would complain. And, and we'd have people all in the hall. So, uh, um. I forget his name, but he owned Underground Railroad. And he said, hey, why don't you guys just bring it down here? We don't have anything happening on Wednesdays and Thursdays. So we brought it down there, and it was a big hit. Yeah, and that's in the space where Sumo-san is now? Exactly. All right, yeah. yeah. And, um, was Cleve in, involved with that? Or no, Cleve had, uh, Cleve had gone to, by that time, to New York. He had a uh, film company, I think he established. You know, I don't Black know. Black Hawk. He and I like, started films. connecting on... Facebook. Facebook. I think because somebody, he commented on a mutual friend's page, mm-hmm. and I was like, I remember you being the student body president at <laughs> um, Henderson. Yeah. 
And he was like the, just this hugely charismatic guy, even a really young, you know, I mean, what are you, 12 or 13? Exactly. But he was like really kind yeah. of beyond that yeah. and, and a very high profile. So he didn't know me. I was just an annoying, like, doughy nerd <laughs> kid. But yeah. uh, um, I remember, and then for some reason, we just started connecting on Facebook about comic book stuff and science yeah. fiction stuff. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, but Cleve went up to New York to seek fame and fortune, of course, like everyone does. And he had, you know, he did quite a bit of stuff. I was on my way to L.A., and then I met my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an uncle who was teaching out at, he was a professor at UCLA. And he said, hey, you can crash here until you figure out what you want to do and all that. And um, then I met my wife and got married, mm-hmm. kids. And I love Richmond. So How many kids you got? I got two boys, wow. uh, 14 and 11. Well, excuse me, 15 and 11. You <laughs> want to make sure that that's, you just turned 15. So. <laughs> and you... Um, Amon told me a little bit about the jazz acting technique. Technique, yeah, yeah. That's another. So who's big the guy one. that started? That? Ernie he's McClintock. Not, and he's not with us. No, Ernie right. died in. Ew, I forget. I'm, I'm sorry. I have all that at, at home. So that's uh, Ernie was a very interesting character, uh, very polarizing. Uh, people loved or hated him, mm-hmm. and. Um, and that went as far that went into the technique as well. Um, and he uh, came out of the black theater movement in New York, uh, 60s, Amir Baraka and all those guys. Mm-hmm. And they did off off Broadway pieces and work with the Negro Ensemble Company and, and, and all that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so when um, things changed. In New York, he uh, went down south. He saw that there was a need in Atlanta. He went down there, and it was from his the way that he explained it to me. It was so clicky that it was really hard to pierce that uh, mm-hmm. that group unless you're a member of it. Yeah. So he became frustrated, and he searched around and found that there wasn't as much of a African American theatrical presence in Richmond, Virginia. And I was like, "That's weird. Why?" Did, why Richmond? He's like, well, North Carolina had this and that. He had a friend, uh, Larry Leon, who mm-hmm. ran the Black uh, Theater Festival in North Carolina. And and later, uh, Atlanta got the Black Arts Festival. So he said, I wanted to go somewhere where I can do something. So he came to Richmond. And he packed up and his partner, um, Ron Walker, who designed all the sets and did all the stuff. He got here. And he, um, and that's how I met Ernie through Cleve, sort of. Mm-hmm. Cleve said, hey, um, take this acting class with me. And uh, that's when uh, Firehouse was just starting. Mm-hmm. Janet Rogers taught this Meisner class. He went to learn Meisner. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And I really, really like Meisner. Uh, and Janet is a good friend now. Um, and I uh, took the class we did a play. I was god awful. Uh, I was bad, man. Was, but you know, I could throw some words together so it looked like I was. I faked it until mm-hmm. you make it type of thing. Mm-hmm. And Janet called me one night. Deal. There's this. There's a, a, a. They're casting a play at the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, which was then uh, Theater of Virginia. Yeah. And. Yeah. Um, that I want you to read, you're perfect for this part. And they called and asked me if I knew anybody. And I said, you. And I was like, I don't know. She's like, no, come over. And I took a week. 
sat down with her and we went over these scripts and I got a monologue together. What was the what was the play? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I forgot it was. It wasn't Cat on a Hot Tin. Not at all. Oh, no, okay. it had nothing to do with. That's their... the only play I saw. There. <laughs> I was gonna throw that out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did you see that one though? Yeah, man, I that saw pretty... Cat on a Hot Tin Roof and I saw uh, another play at Theater Virginia, and I and that was it was much earlier. It had all black actors and and I went, you know, I was I think I was in with a college class or something. And I went, ah, this is awful. I could, I could do better than that. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's horrible. These are New York actors. And mm-hmm. I'm glad I don't remember the name of the play because people will go back. Hmm. So this is this, that the one you're talking about right then that you thought you were like, this is horrible. Was the thing she called you up? No, for? No, oh, no, okay. no, this is oh, okay. way before that. All I just right. remember being a kid and, and going there going, I think that, you know, right. I don't believe any of this stuff. So anyway, uh, I went, uh, where was I? Okay, Janet called me up, said, hey, go audition for this. And uh, it was actually a thing that Randy Strauderman had put together some years ago uh, where he takes uh, high school students mm-hmm. uh, throughout Virginia who are interested in theater and who have written pieces and work with them to uh, you know, produce them within a few weeks put them up and we do these uh, formal stage readings. And I went audition, didn't know what to expect. And I met Ernie McClintock and Ernie sat there on stage and he uh, asked me to come up in his booming voice. Uh, Who's next? I would like to, uh, and your name. And I said, uh, (laughs) he very, very, his voice was, you know, it's like James Earl Jonesy. (laughs) So I said, Deal Hopkins and, um, uh, Came here with Janet Rogers. He, I like to audition. He's like, oh, yeah, let's, let's see your piece. So I did my little one-two dog and pony show. And Do you remember what you brought? It was just some random monologue from standard black play, mm-hmm. fill in the blank. It was nothing of any great import. And he said, um, that was adequate. <laughs> And I said, what is this guy? He's like, "Uh, I would like you to read something now. Um, And I read it. And he said, you you need classes. You can't read. And I said, what are you talking about? And there's a room full of people. Mm -hmm. They're all flanked around. And all the students and the writers and staff from Virginia uh, Museum of Fine Arts and Theater Virginia. I mean, the whole theater was full of people. And then the people auditioning behind me. I said, who is this cat? You're going to come at me like this? <laughs> so uh, I read again, and he's like, no, that's that's not what I'm looking for. Could you come closer? And I came closer. And uh, he's like, no, 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 come come all the way up on stage. I wish to talk to you. So I came all the way up to him. He's like, no, closer, closer. I leaned in, and he said, and, and I'll never forget it, and right in my ear, that's bullshit. You're fucking it up for everyone. Go back and read like you know what you're doing. And I was like, I was stunned. <laughs> so I went back and I, I didn't know what to give him then. I just read and I was done. I was through with it. I said, I'm not going to get this and I'm not going to be humiliated by this guy. To hell with you. So I went back and he's like, uh, good, I will see you on Tuesday. So I, how do you get the gig after getting cursed out by a random stranger? And that was Ernie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I learned from working with Ernie, um, he kind of, 
carved out all the rough edges. He taught me actually how to read, how to uh, 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 break down scenes. Uh, I had no kind of acting technique before then outside of uh, the Meisner loosely based thing. And and then I eventually joined his company and started uh, started teaching for him. I I do the preliminary class, and then if you graduated mine, you go to his, and we did. That was it. That's how it all started. And Meisner, I know a little bit about uh, from Carol. I had yes. her, you know, I talked to her about, yes. that, and she was teaching a class in it. Also, I think I believe she still is. Yeah. And she said the core of it is listening. It's all about listening. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it the the essence of acting, which uh, Meisner kind of got to for me. Mm-hmm. And there are many roads to the mountain and all that stuff. Some people have to really go in and feel all this, uh, uh, what do you call it, method stuff, Mm -hmm. rear up childhood memories and blah. I don't necessarily take that route, so I'm not Mm methody, and some people see it as gospel. I don't. Acting for me is reacting. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily... uh, And that's based in, in in what I learned from Meisner. But I'm listening to what is given me and I react to it in the moment, authentically, as the character. That's it. So you have a set of rules. It's like a suit of clothes. I put on some clothes and I got a set of rules that I have for this character that I've developed. And based upon what someone gives me or whatever my jump off point is, let's say if I at the beginning of the play you have a monologue. There's nobody's talked to you before, mm-hmm. but you, there must be a before. Mm-hmm. And he didn't uh, uh, get just grounded from the ether in that moment and, and create. You, you came from some kind of background. Mm-hmm. So you do your character analysis, build all that, and then poof, you, mm-hmm. you react to the circumstances that they're under. That's the basis of it. Mm-hmm. I listen to what you're saying. If I don't like, the, you know how it is, you're, you're talking to someone and. What they're saying is just regular, plain, but the tone mm-hmm. through which they say it. Right. We, we react to the tone. Yeah. The intention is really what it is. My, uh, your intention from my perspective, maybe right. it may have nothing to do with what you meant, but I answer it based upon what I um, feel you're saying to me. So when you're doing that personally, you know, like you and me sitting here, yeah, like you can. You, you you are taking it personally or whatever you know I mean you you got some investment in what's going on because it's you and, yeah. and another company. but when you're a character and uh, do you manage to get invested in what's happening to the character uh, yeah, as well, if it were you well yeah it's like um it's like uh, uh, um like a musician and this 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 is where the jazz part comes mm-hmm. in the, from the jazz uh, technique uh, you're part of an ensemble but if you listen to jazz music, uh, you can have a, just a regular song that everybody knows, like Mary yeah. Had a Little Lamb. Right. But some guys on drums, another guy's on bass, guys on piano, and maybe a guy on sax or what have you. They're playing that tune, the essence of that tune, the bones of that tune, but they're improvising off of it, and you get character. Mm-hmm. from their particular uh, uh, whatever they're playing. Mm-hmm. And once they hit a certain point um, and everybody understands the, the gist of the tune, each instrument is doing its own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that and there's a conversation sent. and a exactly yeah. it's call and response mm-hmm. kind of. Uh, it's not necessarily even remotely Mary had a little lamb anymore, right. but everybody understands yeah. that that spine of it. Yeah. So getting back to your point, you and I are sitting here talking, and I just came from work, and uh, I'm in a, a a house that I've never been in, sitting at a table talking to a guy I met online. Mm-hmm. Same for you. You had a life before this. Mm-hmm. I'm carrying everything that happened with me before this moment into mm-hmm. this room right now, mm-hmm. and I'm reacting mm-hmm. to what you're asking me. And, uh, you know, we unconsciously check in with our bodies and, and all that stuff and uh, the environment, mm-hmm. uh, our, our position uh, and our, per- uh, our perception of position. Like, I, I know nothing about your background. You mm-hmm. don't know much about mine, but... We have a mutual respect mm-hmm. based upon how we met mm-hmm. and, and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So you can, all of that colors uh, all of my answers and, and what I'm saying. So when I am approaching a character, um, you know, we have a technique where you are uh, you you bring all of that stuff. I call it copper, C O P E R. So it's really character, objective, uh, place environment relationship Mm -hmm. and these are the unconscious things that we do when we meet anyone Mm -hmm. so if we were sitting here talking and having this conversation like we are we're just going on and barack obama comes in the room the course of the conversation would be affected if he even if he said nothing he just sat down at the table Mm -hmm. simply because our place has changed Mm -hmm. The president of the freaking United States just sat mm-hmm. down. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. And then I'm going to wonder if, you know, uh, maybe you have the Secret Service after you. That's kind of <laughs> creepy. <laughs> I don't want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. But you get what I'm saying? Yeah. And like I get it. And, you know, and I'm, a, I'm a huge jazz fan, but yeah. really only really only like bebop and like the old stuff, right. you know, Thelonious yeah. Monk and yeah. then, you know, John Coltrane yeah. and, and stuff like that. And, yeah. and there was a... And it kind of happened concurrently from, for me from reading this James Baldwin story, Sonny's Blues, you know that? Wow, yeah. So in that story is this, you know, the, the brother's a math teacher and the other one's a heroin addict who's a piano mm-hmm. player. Mm-hmm. And the sort of climax of that story is this show um, yeah. where he goes to see his brother play for the first time straight. And he talks about the conversation that they're having on stage up there. Right. And I realized that that was what was – jazz had been interesting to me as a sophisticated mood – music you know it just invoked something but i didn't until reading that story i didn't listen to it that way didn't register with you yeah well you know i didn't i didn't hear it as a conversation because i'm not a musician and Mm -hmm. i don't know that i didn't at the time know the difference between um improvising around agreed upon song structure and making it up as you go along yeah and once i was it sort of got the basic rosetta stone to that (laughs) you know i got really fascinated with it i mean and i'm a huge fan of the improvisation in all forms. I mean, that's why I do this. Yeah. Like yeah, this. Yeah. But the thing that strikes me is, you know, you and I, I mean, there isn't an audience here, right. but we can be somewhat conscious of the fact because we have microphones in our faces that there is. Yeah. There's you know? a, uh, an agreed fourth wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's less so than if you're standing on a stage and there are those people that you have to both acknowledge and disregard that are sitting out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet, you know, you, the level of mindfulness that you can be—I mean, you're obviously very aware of what you're thinking and feeling and, and 
in where you are, and that's part of the practice of of learning to act this way. Yes. But so many people aren't. Like I'm very aware of trying to be mindful and not totally go from. Um, I could be feeling very reactive, and I'm not reacting to you or yeah. what's in the room. Right. I'm reacting to you know chemicals in my yeah. bloodstream or whatever. Well, but that's and, natural, isn't it? It's not alien. And no. what's to say that your character doesn't have uh, indigestion from a sandwich you ate earlier? Right, you could fold it in. But what, what is interesting to me about it is that every, we, in order to really interact authentically, I think, with each other, we have to have this balance, you know, all people, you know, yes. having a conversation, you know, especially whether you're, in, you're, it's, you're talking to your wife, your girlfriend, or somebody at work, you know, there's this amount that you have to rein yourself in and not be too authentic because sometimes oh, yeah. being authentic well, I mean, is an asshole that day. Well, <laughs> that, that, you're right. And you know? uh, that's a degree of a mask. Mm-hmm. There's a, uh, like, uh, I, I talked to my wife, Tracy, about this. You know, there's a, there's an old poem, We Wear the Mask, mm-hmm. that grins and lies, it hides our cheeks and mm-hmm. shades our eyes. It's an old um uh, Harlem Renaissance poetry piece. Who wrote it? Huh? Who wrote it? Oh, gosh. You're going to put me on the spot. I'm not going to put you on the spot. I forgot. <laughs> I should know. He'll come to you later. Uh, that's, you know, that's funny. I think I'm going to be this old man. <laughs> no, seriously. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be this old guy who uh, uh, is going to one day, I'll, I'll slowly get senile, <laughs> but I will lose, uh, I will only have the ability to quote uh, poetry and lines from plays that I was right. in years ago, but it will be dead on yeah. what everyone's talking yeah. about, and uh, I'll fade in and out of consciousness in that respect. So yeah, I I constantly had these things going through my head, and when you say who, I don't know. I just I just remember who was sitting across from me when I said that. Mm-hmm. I could see it in my clear as day, but I don't remember. It. And you know, of course, like a lot of music is you don't know where you got that from. No, it's in your vocabulary. Now, and whether or not you can reference it is not really that important. I mean, I use so, I mean, God, there's so many things I reference from songs and, and movies, and movies and line uh, scripts, a line from a movie. I, I remember I was talking to my son about something, and it just so happened this line from the movie was perfect. <laughs> so I looked like a genius. My old man is incredible, and it's probably some <laughs> weird, really weird, uh, way off in the perimeter type stupid B movie. But I remember the monologue clear as day, and it's like, oh, fit. So <laughs> why tell him? Yeah, yeah. But it's it's really interesting because I've been working on as a, as like a practice, like a, uh, a spiritual practice, a mm. um, ethical practice, like mm. uh, whatever the hell you want to call it yeah. about making my life more comfortable and and my relationships with people, the, listening, you know, being able to listen and be and it's and, hard and really. Try to not just hear what you think you're hearing because of what you're bringing to it, but hear what the person is actually saying. It is really hard. Well, what, and, what you what what I have struggle with in in um, in my in real life um, behind the mask, if you will, is uh, actually trying really hard to not prepare what I'm going to say next mm-hmm. in. Uh, in exchange for listening mm-hmm. and giving it a moment to sink in. But you know how you do that? Uh, you, you have an idea. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're going to say. So anyway, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. yeah, and it's hard. 
because it's waiting to talk or yeah. the est people call it already always listening <laughs> yes yes <laughs> est i like that yeah or form whatever they call it now and it, yeah. that's not cool that's disrespectful to the person that you're talking to and that's the thing is like this balance, whether you're playing music on stage or acting or in your relationships, it's this the balance and the boundaries of, of asserting yourself, saying the things that you want to say, but also being able to step back and let the other person. You yeah, know, say. because if you're quiet, you can actually learn something. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I am of the mind that I don't know everything. So if I give a person an opportunity I might learn something new mm-hmm. like it's that's thing I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool I gotta I'll keep that one in the back pocket that's kind of hot um I'll put my jacket on uh but yeah it's a little cool in here no nah, it's cool you man. want some waters I got the water there but I didn't grab the glasses like, I'm good yeah all right I am just glad to be off work it's Friday but uh, I snooped on your page a little bit are you really? working at Capital One or, yeah or? I'm out of, I'm a part of the board so uh, the matrix, it, the matrix, yeah. indeed. <laughs> uh, I took the red pill. I'm sorry, uh, but if like let's see, like, like I said, I, I was a nerd. Mm-hmm. So I, I work in IT. I've been working in IT since I was like in high school, mm-hmm. and that's what pays the bills. It's not necessarily what fulfills me, but it does pay the bills. So, yeah. yeah, I got the same kind of. I look at it the same way as like I'm. I've, I've got a corporate type job man i'm managing basically salesmen i've like yeah. become like the adam baldwin and you know, clo- no <laughs> always be closing that's right coffees that's right. for coffees, coffees for closers <laughs> yeah and it's like i never saw myself that way but you know like with a lot of things if you believe in the thing i mean i'm not selling bullshit right. time shares or or used cars i mean mm-hmm. i'm representing something i do think is you know yeah. relatively good value and ethical but i gotta balance that with <laughs> This kind of stuff or playing music. Or, or you'll go nuts, else. Yeah. right? And that's the same way with me. Like uh, I have to walk across the stage every now and then. Um, I'm doing a, a, a shoot tomorrow for a, a, it's another one of those historical history channels mm-hmm. things. Um, uh, but it, nonetheless, if I don't do something, I, I'd go nuts because yeah. that, that's what feeds my soul. Uh, if I, if, I if think I, you also need to be rooted like for me, if I'm just doing creative stuff all the time and I don't have some kind of day job, I could be a little too uh, uh, out there. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and it's isn't it kind of weird to uh, because I, I my art friends find my other life peculiar mm-hmm. and alien. Um, how do you do that every day? You know, you just go in there and. Do, but my corporate side, like, what, what what do you guys talk about? What do you, you know, and it, you kind of walk a fence mm-hmm. of this uh, touchy-feely, artsy-fartsy cat and uh, um, a really driven, straightforward, uh, no-nonsense business person, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, some of them call him a lame. <laughs> yeah, because mm-hmm. they got a straight job. He's just a regular guy. But, yeah, it's... It is what it is. I, I find balance in it. I can't imagine. Uh, like, I, I couldn't do what some of my friends did. A lot of my friends, we we acted together and, and worked in a theater company together. And as soon as we got our SAG cards or equity cards, boom, New York mm-hmm. or L.A. And um, I went out to L.A. and I couldn't stand it. 
Mm-hmm. It was not for me at mm-hmm. all. Um, but it's just, you know, to each his own. It's just not my gig, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I was one of those people that was, you know, I basically had the attitude that I'm never going to do a job like I'm doing right now. Like (laughs) I would rather wash dishes than ever have to be a part of something like that. And it was just a, it was a contempt prior to investigation because the Mm -hmm. things that make that are made possible by doing something like that are really important. And if I'm not providing for myself like that, if I'm not working a decent job, somebody else is having to pay for me, you know, I'm somebody else's problem. Yeah. And I think, the the way I was brought up is this whole work work ethic thing, yeah. and uh, it never even crossed my mind to even consider the uh, starving artist role mm-hmm. lifestyle, which is just the uh, that's the the template for a lot of my uh, contemporaries uh, that you you struggle through and you take gigs and you wait tables and all that stuff. But I was sixteen years old at John Marshall High School, and a friend of mine. My mother's a minister, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the other ministers uh, worked at Bank of America at the time, right down on 12th of May. And she said, hey, um, you know, you like the computers and you do all of this stuff. Why don't you come in and maybe we can um, find a little PTJ for you. So I went in and I got a full-time job. I lied on the application. You had to be <laughs> 18. I looked like I was 12. Every, I wasn't <laughs> fooling anybody because... <laughs> But they took me on and I started uh, not in development then, but just doing uh, uh, tape mounting and all the operational things. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I found a way through that. But I always had uh, a way to provide for myself. Mm-hmm. And not having that, was I just couldn't imagine, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, I... I developed a lifestyle where I was comfortable mm-hmm. being able to make decisions at that level. So I, I just never stopped. Yeah. And a lot, I get, I get criticized back in the day. Are you going, you're going to work. <laughs> you know, what, what is that about? Why are you doing that? We should be, you know, rehearsing the scene. I was like, yeah, I don't rehearse the scene after work mm-hmm. because if I don't, I don't know. Part of me, is as passionate about my work as I am about my art. Yeah. 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 Same here. Yeah. Like I really like, you know, the, in the group, the company I work for, and I did similar years, it supports a lot of people. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are raising their families or, or putting food on the table, whatever through this company. Exactly. And what you do to contribute to that is contributing to that, you know, yeah. it's contributing to these people, you know, and I have to remember that this isn't, you know, <laughs> it's not just me. It's right. not a single path. And the other thing is I work in mobile development. Mm-hmm. So uh, I like having uh, um, the idea of creating something, the same buzz I get from theater mm-hmm. where a bunch of strangers get together for like six weeks and from nothing, I mean, we have absolutely nothing. In six weeks, there's a set, a show, and you know your lines, mm-hmm. costuming, mm-hmm. the whole bit. So that's kind of like church for me. But similarly, on the corporate side, we have a bunch of guys to get together who develop, and other guys who do API, and another guy who does architecture. And um, we create a mobile app or something. Mm-hmm in a set amount of time. And I'm like, wow, you know, I can actually show people some, Hey, look what I did or contributed to. Um, I like that. 
I like it too, and it's it's come it's you know part of this whole process of all these different people I talk to. I've got like a curriculum that's starting to occur for mm. me that I'm learning here. Okay, and, I can see that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and maybe I'm just I'm teaching it too, you know, and it, you know it's this sort of simultaneous of like continuum of 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 a of a conversation of a, of an education or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the threads that keeps coming up to me is. There really is no difference between the creativity of building a tool and the creativity of like playing guitar. Exactly, it's the same human. Yeah, yeah it's our evolutionary like advantage. It's the thing that's gotten us from being complete victims of the environment to mastering you know, it. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Uh, it, it's the same thing. I, I can't. I, I don't have anything to say. I agree with you totally. Yeah, it's, it's, it's as very, I think about it, I was like, yeah, that's I'll exactly. I'll preach the choir, but perhaps yeah. you know anyone that's over listening to this, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know that the idea of of making a really good saw is, you know, yeah. that works well, well designed, you know, like does the job form and function the wabi sabi? Yes, thing exactly. It's it very simplistic. Yeah, it's very economic. That's the other thing. It's like you you. Trim away the, the the dumb stuff that you don't need. Mm-hmm. You don't need uh, 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 a nightlight on the saw. Uh, it, it'll be great. I'm sure we could use it, but no, you don't need that. Mm-hmm. You refine it. Mm-hmm. And once you get down to the bare bones, you're like, wow. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the sum of the parts is greater. Yeah. Than, yeah, that whole thing. And that's there's a story that Michelangelo says, you know, when he would do a statue, he would just remove everything. He'd look at a piece of marble and remove everything that wasn't the statue. Right. You know. That's all he's doing, yeah. Until and refining it until his uh, vision becomes clear. Yeah, it's it's the same thing with anything else. Mm-hmm. I've got a friend um and I was just thinking about her. She lives near you actually. Her name's Shala and she's uh she stage managed for a play that I directed. And um, but she we had a get together. You know how you do in a mm-hmm. theater. Everybody cooks and brings something. And she can really cook. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as talented as she is uh, in the uh, 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 theatrical world, she can just really kill it in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And now she's like this really big time chef situation. And it, I just marvel at it because as I I was like, yeah, of course it's. You know, of course you're a chef. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the equal amount of uh, passion and, and, and detail that she put in, in, in the uh, theater, she mm-hmm. also does that. And I, I just, I was like, okay, that's the same thing that I'm mm-hmm. pretty much. And you yeah. said that, you know, that acting is kind of like, you know, putting together a play is kind of like church for yes, you. Yes, definitely. You know? And yeah. I have to say, I mean, I'm very conscious of having a spiritual life but i'm not following anybody's dogma right like what has gradually emerged for me is a desire to learn from other people the things that i know that i don't know i know (laughs) yeah exactly yeah i I completely understand it i I can give you a a, my my perspective on all that i grew up in the church Mm -hmm. my mom's a minister she's associate pastor at our home church and what is the church uh saint john baptist uh 4317 north avenue (laughs) North side. Uh, North side, yeah. And uh, so I grew up around a lot of ministers. And going to church and being around church people uh, or the, the the people that make it happen are two different things. Mm-hmm. So early on in life, I realized that these are just people. Mm-hmm. But, 
And, and you know, with all the foibles and all that, you know, it's just this is just some dude mm-hmm. with a robe on mm-hmm. talking to you. Mm-hmm. Nothing less, nothing more. Yeah, he, he knows a, uh, more scripture. And he knows all of the. He went through seminary. And all, you know, it's just mm-hmm. just a dude or a woman. I can't. Mm-hmm. Let me take that back. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just it. They're people. Right. But when they are in front of a crowd with text, that's where something else happens, mm-hmm. whatever your religion. Mm-hmm. Um, so with theater, for me, that you know, and I was going through my whole uh, rebellious, what am I type, you know, Southern Baptist. I got a lot of Buddhist mm-hmm. tendencies of leaning on this, you know, Eastern philosophies and all of this. When I started theater and I would go on an audition, and this this happened over and over, similar to the way that you're saying you're developing a curriculum, you're doing this interview mm-hmm. with individuals over and over again, and there's a commonality, a, a thread that lies through the center of it, and it becomes clearer and clearer to you the more you do it. Mm-hmm. So going on an audition, getting a role, showing up for a rehearsal, putting on the play over and over and over and over again um, and hearing the problems and the things that we're worried about and all that stuff. Uh, after a while, I realized it was just a group of strangers in a room mm-hmm. with something that someone wrote years ago with nothing, um, uh, no blocking or marking, no costuming, no lights, making believe. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all about when you say make believe. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. I, I make believe. Yeah. And then in a few weeks, everything is there. And where I was pantomiming this cup, there's a cup there now. And that lady's dressed in period mm-hmm. garb. And mm-hmm. now I'm in the 1800s and boom, boom, we're You've doing conjured this thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, out of nothing. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's like a, a book of spells. And if you believe it and and treat it with enough uh, reverence mm-hmm. and respect, others will too. Mm-hmm. And boom, you you got something. Yeah, it's you know that's it's very interesting to me, and it's not a thing that I appreciated about you know preachers and you know mm-hmm. people who mystics and and you know yeah. the people who gave talks like that. That yeah, they are they're just a dude up there but when they hit the the vein you know and they they, 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 there's something passing through them that's like what's passing through john coltrane with the saxophone or passing through somebody's brush or an actor or or whatever there is i firmly believe that there is something speaking through you when you get into you know it's a trance it's a ritual it's a thing exactly and and that's what you brought up john coltrane that's one of my favorites Mm -hmm. um and to me, the reason I think John Coltrane is a, a instead of just a jazz musician, I consider him a master, mm-hmm. is because he has clarity in that mm-hmm. channel. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take him a long time to get where he needs to go mm-hmm. um, for this transcendent moment, if but, you, you know, will. And he was in the belly of the beast. And, yeah. You know, oh man. <laughs> he was Billie Holiday as well. I mean, she was a heroine and prostitution and all this stuff. But as soon as she got behind a mic, everything that she went through and you know and I, I say that like not to diminish the context no, no, but to indeed. say how in my experience that sometimes to have that thing to say like when you write a love supreme it's written from the clarity of having been so lost and be so messed up 
and have this talent, but to be completely seduced by the dark side. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, indulge it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to, right. And to really, which I think is if there is evil, it's, it's ultimate self-indulgent, you know, yeah. kind of things that are yeah. to the point of destruction of yourself and others. And he goes the other way and he, and he makes that record, a love supreme, uh, which is for his spiritual awakening, you know, and every, you know, everything that comes out of that is ecstasy. You know, it's ridiculous. ridiculous. <laughs> Just crazy. Have you heard, uh, uh, what is it, uh, a few of my favorite things? Yeah, his version of that, yeah. In a sentimental mood. It's the same thing, mm-hmm. but it's different. It's He takes it into a new... Like, There's a version whoa. of that I heard from J- Japan that somebody had at a record store I was working at, and one side of that record was my favorite things. It was like, he, he played it for an hour or something, minor scale, major scale, yeah. you know. <laughs> and he's, and you're like, wow! I never thought, you know, you start to see and hear colors and textures. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're kind of on a journey, mm-hmm. so that's really what happens when a person, even when you're sitting down talking to a stranger, and uh, they tell you a story. You 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 know that whole airplane disposable friend type uh, disposable, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the Fight Club <laughs> thing. But they. they uh, uh, it's like a fun size friendship. Uh, some guy will sit next to you or a lady and will share the most intimate mm-hmm. details of their lives for that two, three hours. Uh, you, you share as well and give a, a consultation and, mm-hmm. and then you're gone. But that moment, mm-hmm. what was that? So it's clarity in a channel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I believe in that, and I've seen. It's. I, I think that we we bring a piece of some greater wisdom and some greater consciousness, and I don't have a label for that, but I know it's there because it's running things when I'm not yeah. even thinking about it. Whether you're just talking about this body, you know, I'm yeah. not telling my heart to beat, you know, right now. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not in control of the electricity in my brain, and mm-hmm. all that synaptic firing, all that stuff. But it happens, and and, and that and on it the has other hand, some kind of a will and some kind of a plan, and it's connected to all that other stuff that <laughs> you know. Yeah, and is, what is it for? We, I don't know, but that that I put it that seems in, to know what it's doing though. Yeah, I put that in the faith box. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I have faith. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I don't question it. I have faith that my heart's beating and. I'll just get up and do my thing uh, without questioning it. Um, we turn on our cars every day and we drive or mm-hmm. what, what have you and go along our merry way with yeah. faith. There could be a million things that could go wrong with that. Well, we just do it. But you, until it goes wrong, there's no point right. think, you know, thinking about so it. So when a person it. says that they're faithless, I find that hard to believe. I just think they never really scrutinized it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we have faith in all kinds of things. That's just what I thought about when you said make believe. Yeah, that's what. You know? Yeah, it's you're creating a thing to have faith in to show the power of what can happen when you agree and believe in something. Yeah, everybody is their own. We all become our own evangelists at some time. Mm-hmm. Come along with me. Who's gonna? You know that mm-hmm. uh, Tom Cruise. Who's going with me? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's really what you're doing when you tell a story and you start getting riveted. And yeah. then what happened? You know, oh man, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's what it is. And uh, so we all have degrees of that, uh, whatever we want to call it, faith. And as you do something that you're passionate about over and over and over again, there becomes clarity in that channel. Um, it's easier to communicate or let something communicate through you, whatever that is. And 
you, not inhibit it. That's mm-hmm. the other thing is to get out of right. get out of the way or whatever the heck it is. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't know, perhaps uh, there's um, something bigger. There was know. just somebody on the radio talking about this. You know, all the different ways of being in the zone, all the, mm-hmm. the different ways of basically turning off the 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 self regarding self reflecting you know yeah. kind of mind in order yeah. to, to really function in, in harmony with whatever it is you're doing whether it's basketball or, or playing an instrument or and one guy was even talking about you know f- war you know which we don't find that romantic when we're thinking of guys in, in but there's you know, strategy to the it streets, but but when you think of a shogun you know or a samurai oh, you do beautiful. find it right yeah, yeah. he's already dead you know yeah. so he, he's already dead and you can't pull your blade out unless you draw blood mm-hmm. that that's disrespectful to the person who created it and all that so yeah so yeah i was like that's fascinating um i have a friend named uh mike uh i forget his last name right now <laughs> but uh <laughs> michael is uh he he kind of he describes it as being in the flow mm-hmm. and that's where you kind of release and allow whatever happened to influence whatever's happening now. Mm-hmm. But we have our day-to-day stuff. Uh, oh, my God, I got to get home to mm-hmm. do this. And didn't we pick up the mm-hmm. thing? And I, like, I, I probably, I'll call my wife after this, and, and she's going to probably ask me to go and pick up something from the store. Mm-hmm. And all. So these are little, little ridiculous concerns. <laughs> but what I mean by that is, like, not, not that it's ridiculous, but... I don't mean that you're ridiculous, honey. <laughs> but the uh, the little things that get in the way of doing whatever it is that we're here to do, mm-hmm. um, if you can tune all that out, it's like tuning in a, a, to a channel on the old radio. Mm-hmm. You can hear the music back there, but it's like... Right, <laughs> static. Exactly. If you can just fine-tune it a little bit and maybe lift this leg up and hold the antenna this way, mm-hmm. you might actually get the get the station. Um, Sounds like yoga. Yeah, pretty much. You know, <laughs> back in my house, I was the uh, remote. Was, you know, go go and turn the TV, and we had to deal with the rabbit ears and all that. Just hold that. Yeah, just until, stay yeah, stay right there until this round's over with. I just want to see this three minutes of boxing. So that was really the way it was. You know, yeah, yeah. So that's what we're doing. We're trying to get clarity in the channel. Yeah, exactly. And you know, theater is not for whatever reason, it was not a thing until I started going to this stuff because Morgan was involved. Mm-hmm. And she's the one that worked the, the box office and mm-hmm. that. And then she started stage managing for Carol and and uh, props and wardrobe. And she's constantly doing this stuff. So I just ended up going to see right. that play. And Race. then... Uh, yeah, and then Billy Christopher's... You know, oh, his cabaret. Issues thing. Patty Issues, yeah. 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 And then uh, I saw the uh, Liebenstrom, Liebenstrom thing. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, and more and more, I'm like, why would I be leaving? This is all the other stuff I believe in and all the other stuff I like, but it's never occurred to me. I always thought of the theater. I mean, the people I knew involved in theater when I was younger were so uh, obnoxious. Pompous yeah. assholes. Yeah. Yeah, and exhibitionists. Yeah. And always like so on and, theater kids. and practiced in the way that they were on. But I did plays when I was in high school, but I didn't do it like that. My, you know, we did it in this very nonchalant, yeah. not even really trying to be actors. Because I'm so cool. I'm a right. teenager right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think um, I find theater really addictive. What what I, uh, but the general gist of it is, is that it's stuffy, old fogey, weird. Uh, and kids, when they come, really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But they have 
this instant gratification thing that's mm-hmm. different. So and because we live in that that society, what's well, so goddamn challenging and confrontational though? That's the thing is that when you watch a movie or a TV show, right? You, you're they can't see you. You, can, you, well, you know, can, you not, can, they're not really there. There's not. And really they're not affected. There. and you you can walk away and get a pop, come back, or you know, smoke whatever it is. But and, you guys made me uncomfortable as hell with that yeah. We get in your face. Play, you know that really. It was uncomfortable to do, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard to watch, and then and it was hard to hang out at the party afterwards and not think you are that guy. That's I just that's saw what happens. And Katrina all the time. is that girl. Yeah. I just not the case. You know? That that happens all the time. I did the boys next door where I played a mentally challenged man, and uh, uh, who who is very uh, um, uh, cogent at one point in, in, during a monologue, and then he's back, mm-hmm. uh, very very deeply mentally challenged. And I, my wife and I had just gotten married at that time. We didn't have any kids or anything. So, you know, you got your spouse or your, whoever you're in a relationship with. She's like, okay, I'll come to another play. You know? So she comes and they have the Q&A like they always do. And then afterwards, uh, people start talking. It's like, oh, who'd you come to see? She's like, oh, I came from my husband. I came with my husband. It's like, what's your character was he? It's like, oh, that, that one, Lucian. He played, played Lucian. They said, oh, oh, my God, you're such a patient person <laughs> to to be there for him <laughs> and uh, I can understand the challenges you might so I show up and hey hey what's going on and they're like so surprised <laughs> that I'm like a guy but that's the that's the whole spell of the theater it's funny but that means that we did our gig yeah. you know we made believe yeah and that that play me going to that at that time it was a serendipitous thing mm-hmm. and it made me confront things in a particular way that, like, I had stopped confronting a long time ago. Like, in my own way, I've just, I think I've been in a kind of a denial about mm-hmm. the whole thing. Because mm-hmm. I grew up here, you yeah. know, over on yeah. 28th and Grace, and I went to Bellevue, and I went to Henderson. And I've been in Richmond in the midst of this tension and all right. this stuff my whole life. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of, I, I kind of drifted from, it's, it's such an uncomfortable thing that seems like it can never be resolved. Talking it about can it be though. I, I, I well, if well, I'm I, talking about my own immature. Oh, I, I dig it. With yeah, it. yeah. And and then seeing that play and that just saying, you know, I was very scared in that room. <laughs> and then and when I had Amon over here afterwards to start talking to him about that, I was found myself like I don't want to say the wrong thing, you know. And he's like, yeah. get real, you know. Yeah, like, just just be yourself. Here's the thing. Um, I think, and this is very uh, selfish and self indulging. But I think of of the many places in America, Richmond, Virginia in particular, is one of the best places to deal with race mm-hmm. because of the history here that we are, you know, you can't walk down the street. You, you throw a rock and you hit a battlefield or mm-hmm. this thing happened. Monument Avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a lot of stuff that we deal with. And the contradictions mm-hmm. of the things that we hold so dear mm-hmm. uh, and, and the, the wide crevice between people's understanding of mm-hmm. these things. So you're a white man. Mm-hmm. I make certain assumptions based upon my uh, the things that I grew up doing and hearing and, and, mm-hmm. and what I was exposed to about who you are. I'm a black guy. Mm-hmm. 
you make certain assumptions, you know, and, and uh, well, this is the way that happens. And none of it is true or rooted right. in anything part of Only the truth. Only if you agree, it's if everybody agrees on it and goes along with these roles, you know. If yeah. Decide, yeah. And, you know, you you said something to me in that conversation, the Facebook conversation. Yeah. That really was like the blue pill. <laughs> really? Because you said, well, Neo, <laughs> and you addressed me like that. And oh, went, I remember. Yeah, yeah. And it went into... And it went into neutral mythology that that really brought into focus what this issue is in a way that I hadn't um, and that I hadn't been contemplating, you know. That and I don't remember exactly what you said, but it invoked the idea that I'm participating in the matrix if I turn if a blind eye to right. this, yeah. you know, and that I am an agent of the agents. And the whoever the the agents represent mythologically in that thing to me, you know, all of the various things that are either intentionally controlling us or comp- we are complicit in allowing to control how we live and how we yeah. The operative word being control, mm-hmm. meaning that we keep everything exactly the same. The um, and this is. Uh, I will just I'll dash into a bigger idea. And this was a conversation about white privilege, just yeah, you know, on Facebook. And, it, and the, I, I get set that. off by Luke Skywalker and and Obi Wan, a cartoon <laughs> yeah. in the New Yorker. Use your white privilege. Use your white privilege, Luke. I love that. That was so funny. <laughs> um, the, that's a highly volatile uh, subject. Mm-hmm. This white privilege, and the idea is that uh, people, when you say white privilege, you're immediately uh, defensive. Yeah, and it's not a slight, and right. that's the problem. It's not a slight, or, uh, or, or even being labeled racist. It's just a state of mind, mm-hmm. and um, and it's an obliviousness. It's it's kind of like right. It's it's yeah. it's uh it's something that's taken for granted, mm-hmm. literally. Um, and if we were to exchange white privilege for the words black tax or uh <laughs> um i don't know uh i'm trying to think of the another word um i don't know blacks i don't know if you if you if you take the words off of you the person and put it on something else it becomes right. easier to understand and i don't think that we and like you created a space for me with making that, re, re, you know, sort of gentle kind of like humorous, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. illusion mm-hmm. that it's like, oh, you, we, this isn't a confrontation. No, I'm not being confronted by the statements about white privilege on Facebook as, you know, like you're the guy, you know. Right. You yeah. It. You're the reason that there's racism and mm-hmm. you personally, Curtis, I am offended that you blah, blah. But it's, it's very it's easy, not it's to, easy go, to go there. Yeah, it's easy to jump in that box. And but it isn't and, and that is not the case. The, the other thing is uh we got so much going on right now. Um oh I I, I remember my other thing is like the idea of uh, it brought to mind you, you've got a sticker on the back of your um your laptop the american flag mm-hmm. the idea of america for a lot of people is a stationary idea mm-hmm. but it's really a, a very we're we're just progressing mm-hmm. forward nobody knows what this thing is that's right 
there's brought no all of this shit like you said right. there was a context before this context and, and, and it all and, came here yeah and know? now we're trying to figure out the next context yeah. so the idea of an american is a very fluid idea yes there was uh you know there was a a prototype at one time you're like john wayne mm-hmm. you know that's that's a Mar- right. an American, brand, you know, you know that, that exactly. Mm-hmm. And that served its time. Mm-hmm. We're trying to figure out what it is now. Uh, you know, everything's different. Yeah. And the thing that's interesting about that to me, well, and I'm a big fan of like reinforcing the idea that America is not, it's never been any one thing. There was right. at a point, you know, really with marketing and the, the, the more that there were, communication channels that everybody was looking at whether it was you know advertising or the radio or television or movies you know the marketing people i think not even realizing that they were being fascists or whatever right were putting forth a uniform and a totalitarian idea or exclusive you know, an exclusive idea yeah right? and it's and and it's not it's excluding all kinds of people like a man is only allowed to be like john wayne he's right. not allowed to be and sensitive a, or, or afraid right. or, and a woman has to be subservient and obedient like june cleaver mm-hmm. and have the pearls and you know be a complete wildcat firecracker in the bed right. but when everyone comes over you can have dinner with uh, reverend phelps and not yeah. feel that anything crazy is going to happen those those ideals and those uh those uh character types archetypes if you will are no longer useful. That yeah. that shirt doesn't well, fit plus we anymore. Have all these ways around them, like right. they did. People were doing that relative. I think relatively innocently. You know, they were trying to manipulate us to buy things, or our parents, or the previous generations. It was all branding, but right. But yeah. they weren't. They didn't realize that they were actually creating the thing that we didn't like Hitler doing, or we didn't like the Russians doing, saying that there was an ideal, you know. Oh, it's but, funny you you said that, and I saw a thing on uh, Facebook the other day. Uh, there's a, a girl who was uh, a girl. I take that back. It's a young lady. It's a woman. Mm-hmm. She was uh, <laughs> she was uh, you know promoting. She's kind of trying to troll liberals and things of that nature. So she took a picture of a Bible and a gun with the American flag oh, yeah, behind yeah, her. Right. She's standing there. Right, yeah, yeah. And it has like a little, you know, or a little uh, uh, um, smirk on her face and all this. And someone did the same thing. They found a picture exactly like her, but it was from uh, ISIS. Right. You know, a young woman doing the same thing. And the idea of, I feel that there's a lot of um, contention because these heartfelt beliefs about what America is and what it looks like mm-hmm. is challenged daily. Yeah. And, and it's it, more and more so yet. So that, you know, there are many people uncomfortable with that and you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it, you know, and like, yeah. when I'm talking and my job used to be traveling around this city, visiting, um, you know, restaurants and yeah. bodegas and all kinds of stuff and trying to get them to come shop where I, I work. And very often, you know, a Chinese person would say to me, well, you know, we don't, this and that about Americans. And I'm like, you guys got citizenship, right? Right, like, yeah. Yes. And I was like, you're an American. You know, who are you actually talking about, you know? And I constantly would catch, find myself in conversations with Yemeni guys or, you know, Mexican people or Chinese people well, who are here in America and are American citizens. You are now part, you know. Of this tapestry. Yeah, but yeah. but uh, without really... Uh, without really admitting it, they 
not only felt marginalized, but were self-marginalizing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and it has a lot to do with this branding that you mm-hmm. were talking about because you're not seen mm-hmm. and you don't see yourself. And, but then also to choose that role. Like, right. Until you and I had this conversation, it never occurred to me before that you know, you can also not take responsibility for what's going on in America if you can just say, yeah, those Americans over there, they're doing right. that stuff. You know, yeah. I'm a Mexican. I just have to. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or or like most of America does, will say, oh, that's just Florida. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, here's another wackadoodle story. Mm-hmm. But that's us. Yeah. It's really what it is. And um, I think that uh, because these character types, these uh, ideals, if you will, are being challenged daily, those who, um, much like religion, you that's the basis of your character. Mm-hmm. Without that, well, anything goes. Mm-hmm. If there is no God, or at least my idea of God isn't necessarily God, uh, I, I have no, the floor just gave away. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to fight to keep the, my sanity, mm-hmm. not question it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you that's gotta have something to hold on to. Right. There's a lot of people not comfortable with that relativistic, you know, each case kind of assessing as you go kind of thing. Right. They got They need rules. Or they need it to be. I don't, know. I'm a, I don't necessarily need gravity. Mm-hmm. I'm good. I'll take it as it comes. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't know what's happening, mm-hmm. but uh, I have an idea of what America is. Mm-hmm. And I have an idea where America can be. So I don't necessarily see it as a, um, <clears throat> I'm not a, the white man needs to blah, blah. I'm not, you know, I, I went through my militant phase and the, each time I take a stand in one direction or the other, I meet someone that contradicts the entire thing. And it's like, I didn't even think about that. Let me see, you're, you're a blind Lebanese transgender? Where, right. How do I? I can't, what box do I put that in, you know? And you're cool. Yeah, the box I got to keep going with is human. Yeah. You know, and then really digging. Like, the more accepting I am of all of these things that I don't know how to box, it's the more that I allow myself to be as fully, you know, the person that I was, I am, I was intended to be, you know, with all right. the contradictions and paradoxes and things that aren't quite John Wayne, aren't quite Woody Allen, aren't quite... Right, you know. that's it. And uh, uh, I'm I'm resolving to be the best DL I can be. Mm-hmm. One thing that I do like is meeting individuals I have never met mm-hmm. before uh, for that perspective. Uh, because you just don't... Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If I sat around and just, you know, sat around in my, my basement with the same fellers... And did the same thing all the time, talking. After a while, that you know, you have a echo chamber. Yeah, you start and you're to talking to yourself, literally, right? Which is a straight road to insanity. You Indeed, know? no other information coming yeah. in. Yeah, stagnant. I can see where you would develop this, you know, idea that and put up these walls, these impenetrable walls. But if you get out, you know, um, and and meet people and go places. It's cool. I, my wife and I went to Paris uh, for a honeymoon, and <clears throat> I didn't know what to expect. You know, I was just, I want to go to Paris. Let's go to Paris. You know, so we went, and um, of course, she's shopping at the, the different stores and all. And while I was waiting for her, I walked into another store, and this was a store that sold used American jeans <laughs> and and tennis shoes and stuff. And this 
guy was, you know, there was no one in the store. I walked in, I started looking around, and he uh, he said, uh, "Bonjour, may I help you? You speak English?" I was like, "Yeah, sure." Um, uh, what you know, what, what kind of store is this? And he said, "American." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm from America. He said, "One moment." He ran to the back and brought like four other guys out, <laughs> and uh, and they all huddled around me. I didn't know what to expect I, <laughs> because uh, typically, you know, well, I'm a black. Man, mm-hmm. so I was like, okay, it's about but you're to go not down. From Algeria, you're right? Not, you know. Right. So it's about to go down in the store the same way it does in America, and you know, yeah, they're gonna mm-hmm. follow me around on this oh, guy. You know, oh. this, this is, here we go. It's the same. Oh, you thought that was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because that's the you know that's what normally happens, and uh, it was quite the opposite. So <laughs> the guys came in and they said, "You're from America, yes." I said, yes. He's like, I told you. <laughs> so I was like, all right, what, what, what's going on? I said, tell us of the Biggie Smalls. <laughs> and I went, really? <laughs> so we sat there and they were enthralled as I went through rap lyrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what I, you know, they had fun because we all laughed and joked and talked for a long time. But the thing that I got from the whole thing and I slowly realized way back when <clears throat> is that our greatest export is not any textile or, or uh, 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 technology or anything. It's culture. Mm-hmm. I had no idea until that moment like 20 some odd years ago. Well, it's really 17. But I had no idea that uh despite everything that's actually going on, these kids, these guys, mm-hmm. they actually thought that my life in America was one continuous party. It's like a Puff Daddy video. Uh, we throw money. Everyone does. And our women are scandalously clad. And there's drinks flowing all the time. In in between, we might do some work. But that's what we did. And every white guy has a pickup truck and a, and a cowboy hat. And uh, and we're just all this ridiculous hodgepodge of uh, videos and movie characters mm-hmm. makes up America. And I got the biggest laugh from that. And I said, like, no, man, I, I got a, a regular job. He said, you must be basketball player. Yes. <laughs> no, I don't. I'm, I'm really bad at it. You're, you're the rapper. And I said, like, no, I'm not a rapper, man. I really... He's like, uh, you do the television? I said, well, I do act. And then he's like, ah, I knew it. I was like, no, no, not like that. I'm not really making any money at it at all. It's just something I do. Oh, but you're the actor, yes. He's like, ah, here we go. But that's the idea. But as we approach uh, more globalization, those walls uh, are broken down and we start to get into that human aspect that you're talking about. So the idea of American for Americans is challenged. Mm-hmm. Not what we don't care what anyone else thinks about us, uh, but what we think about us is challenging. And when you can't answer that question definitively in the same way that granddad did mm-hmm. and pop, my father's father was, you know, when you can't do that uh, and you have to consider all these other people that you considered strange mm-hmm. just as american as you mm-hmm. that's challenging yes yeah. yeah and i i really love it 
honestly. And I think it's because of like, you know, where my development, like philosophically and spiritually has been more self-actualization and, and kindness to myself and compassion for all the things that I've been insecure about or angry with myself about, or, you know, denied or tried to downplay or all of that, that the practice of accepting and I said this before, I guess, but the practice of, of welcoming all of that stuff is a right. practice of, of welcoming it within, becoming comfortable with myself being is the same as being comfortable with all of this. It's a, you know, it, it really is a practice it, and um, it's a spiritual practice. It's enjoyable, you know, but it, I mean, it really does make my myself more comfortable. It's very you know? humbling and, experience mm-hmm. because and humility, right? You know, not bowing and scraping, right. but recognizing that you're a part of this thing. No more or less. You're a part of this whole, you know. Oh, you just touched on something that in that that humility. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a problem because one of the um, one of the traditional American ideals is this closed, strong, assertive, determined mm-hmm. uh, guy, mm-hmm. um, man's man, if you will. Mm-hmm. But to be open. Uh, Contradicts all that. It's in it's in direct contention. It's the antithesis of you know you're almost considered touchy feely. But before I open my mouth and speak, I have to think about you. Got to consider what you're saying mm-hmm. now, because not necessarily that you want to offend anyone, but how can I communicate to a group of diverse people? Uh, what my thoughts are with all this varied background and, and then the layers of how we get along and all this stuff. And to be honest with you, if you throw all the crap out and just be honest and just speak honestly, that's the best route. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, so a lot of the political correctness stuff really, uh, Inhibits the process, in yeah, my opinion. I mean, it's been such a a particular journey for me, and I mean, I was thrown into this context as a child in 1972, mm-hmm. and my parents never said anything to me about that this was an unusual context. I was not in any way like indoctrinated, right? You know, I was taught manners at home. I had yeah. home training. Yeah, home like, training. Yeah. You know, my parents just sent me out to school, go Bellevue, and, and do you think Bowler at, at that time? It was over here. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. on twenty fifth. Yeah. And you know, I just I just went into this world, and gradually it was revealed the context that had preceded, you know, this neighborhood and preceded this town. And, and we assume things, our roles. Yeah, and the thing, well, the, the role that I assumed is, and I remember this so vividly is. I got those comic books in February, the Golden Classics. You remember yeah, those? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely. And I started reading those because I like comic books. I'm a big comic book guy. And I and I go, I look like the bad guy <laughs> in all of these stories, you know. And like, I I didn't know what to do with that for 20 years, right? You know. Yeah. And I think so many of my friends who also are sensitive to that have just gone with. I feel bad because I'm the bad guy in that story or I'm descended from the bad guy in that story and can't get real to talk about all of this stuff because they, they don't want to in any way participate in that continuum right. of pain. Or know? experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, or experience yeah. it because it is... Those golden classics were grotesque. Yeah. They were, man, some of, I remember reading some of those things and I was like really scared because... Mm-hmm. 
it was like really rough. Mm-hmm. But now I look at them and I'm like, wow, because I, I can, any comic, I, I don't know, I got a special relationship with comic books. So any kind of comic, I can, uh, uh, once I read it, if it's something I read when I was a kid, I'm right back. Yeah. 12, 8, 9, mm-hmm. sitting on the floor reading, you know. I got my entire collection from childhood over here. Do you remember Elliot Woody by any chance? He went, that sounds familiar. He went to Henderson. He was in a wheelchair. Yes, yes, yes. He got me into comic books. Like he and I used to go to Dave's Comics and all yeah. that. I still have the ones that I bought back then. I used to go to Dave's and I went to Nostalgia Plus at Willow Lawn and even even uh, well, I think they're called Vector Comics or something on Broad Street Velocity? now. Velocity. Yeah. That's it. Velocity. But there was something else when they were right off of Grace Street, Disgrace. Yeah. Street. What was that? I forgot. It was right across from the Jade Elephant. Yeah. In that little a house little in a, a, a house-looking building. Right. I forget the name yeah. of it, but I spent a lot of time there because I think it was because the uh, at that time it was run by you know college students, young guys, and they didn't mind me sitting in there reading a little bit, and then after reading like five or six comics, buying two. Because <laughs> you know, yeah. And, but you know, it's, it's just we could go for a long time talking about the you know the the trajectory with those golden classics, and then coming up through. I I worked for Department of Recreation and Parks. Yes, and, you know, worked at, at at Humphrey Calder and Randolph, and okay, and I was in a bunch in Bird and mm-hmm. a bunch of different places. And I was in college at the time, and I was an English major, and I was like, I know what to do with all of this conflict. I'm going to be, you know, a teacher and I'm going to be, I'm going to fix this stuff and I'm going to go in yeah. here, you know, and I was listening to, you know, Tribe Called Quest and all that kind of stuff, like 90s hip hop that was very socially conscious, but intelligent, like positive, like what were we could do positive about this? Like where are we going to I had such high hopes that that was going to, yeah, that we went somewhere, went a, a way around. It's a marketplace, you know, yeah, you sell true. the, uh, NWA, right? We can sell it than, more than, than you can. Yeah. But I, I also think that that uh, fit a certain narrative. Mm-hmm. So whatever fits True. the narrative right. gets the spins, and because you 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 uh, a larger amount of people Relate will respond to, that, yeah. to it uh, than you know KRS One and public. It, it, it took me out of my interest in being that kind of music taking over. Alienated me so bad. That I just went on this whole thing, and I swear it just came to another denouement when you made that neo comment to me on oh, Facebook. Yeah. I mean, it was really pivotal. Like, I, well, strangely enough, and it made me realize: wait a minute, I'm not. This is like the humans being pitted against each other by the agents. Yeah, and, and, and <laughs> I really, you know, in that small brief conversation that we had, I, I realized it's like you're seeing it for what it really is right now. Mm-hmm. So let's respect it for what it really is, and you can make a choice and do it whichever way you want to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's cool because people do it every day, mm-hmm. but you got you're responsible for the information now that you you've um, you've been exposed and to. The it. most important part of that that I got out of that was I preach. You know, compassion a lot. You know, I talk about it a lot. I'm like, and what compassion is, is also for the bad guys. You know, it's understanding the humanity that underlies going that wrong and like getting that twisted up and that you could be that person and you might be making decisions every day that are like that. And yet in this one particular region, I'm very defensive and like, 
I got very compassionate from that comment because we we went into comic we went to science fiction exactly yeah, yeah yeah and I went this is like what somebody is saying when they say white privilege on Facebook they're saying help help me you know yeah. like, like you you don't you. They're not I saying wanna, fuck you. Yeah, they're, they're trying saying, to say, we're trying to say, hey, I'm trying to expose you to something that's actually going on that you really can't see. Mm-hmm. It's all around you. I mean, it's, I didn't see the vulnerability in it. Yeah. I saw aggression and confrontation well, in it. Well, that's yeah. because when it's presented in the traditional media sense, it's always and you're blah blah, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's Right. We um the extremes, you know what I mean, sell we, it's right. more interesting. It's a, right. it's a, it's conflict. So, um, I remember seeing Donahue when I was a kid, and that, that's going to date me. Mm-hmm. But Donahue would come on, and that that was the talk show. Mm-hmm. And now we got a million of them. Yeah. But uh, that was the thing. You never had like regular people. I I wouldn't see my my uncle Lewis on Donahue because mm-hmm. he's not you know pissed off about. In any particular direction, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he's got a great story, but he's not going to get riled up and mm-hmm. frothing at the mouth for anything. So uh, when, how can I say this? Uh, Just be honest. Well, yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. Uh, there are a lot of people who have much bigger microphones than we're sitting behind mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, we have and, equal access on the internet. Right. But you'll be able to listen to this when it's up there. But, and, but those audiences mm-hmm. uh, enjoy. It's like the, uh, the gladiators in the Coliseum. Mm-hmm. We don't want to see, nobody wants to sit down for an hour and watch someone cure cancer. That'd be great. How awesome would that be? Mm-hmm. But are you going to listen to all of the minutia about your proteins and this, that, right. and the third? What we want to see, I want to see uh, a bare knuckle fight between uh, uh, Dr. Colin, uh, Cornell West and, and Bill O'Reilly. Right. Let's go. You know, yeah. ding, ding, ding. Uh, it's like a prize fight. We all know that they've already agreed to the splitting of the money and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And we know that Don they're going to might as well be there. Don King might as well be there. Like there, I think Pacquiao is going to fight. Uh, what's his name? I like boxing too. Mm-hmm. My dad was a boxer. So I grew up in a gym, but Pacquiao agreed to fight Mayweather. This is something that everyone's been waiting for, for a long time, but they couldn't agree to the terms. Mm-hmm. You know, I need, <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying? So, uh, realistically, in a real world, that fight will be done in a, in one round. But we stand to get a little more money. Mm-hmm. You know, Increase the tension, right, build the drama. Yeah, build it up. We're gonna, I'm going to talk about your mom before and all this mm-hmm. stuff. So our efforts aren't in resolution. Our efforts are in the conflict. Yeah. And if you have no conflict, then we don't have a narrative or a show. So I don't think that the idea of putting a salient person on TV to talk about, hey guys, when we say white privilege, it's not we're not it's not an, a slight or an attack. We're just saying, look, there's a lot of stuff you take for granted that mm-hmm. isn't necessarily so. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and yeah, when I get stopped by the cops, it's not cool, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a little different. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, you know, saying, hey, I. Uh, uh, um, it's it's anybody's fault. Mm-hmm. It's a societal yeah. thing. 
um, because as I am painted with a dark brush, no pun intended, uh, we it uh Dark I, is in morbid is that what we're at? <laughs> oh just evil yeah. demonic uh but but we we take these types that are traditional and we live by them mm-hmm. i mean a policeman has to protect himself the stereotypes yeah these stereotypes but the problem is is that the stereotypes are old mm-hmm. and need to be brought up to modern day mm-hmm. and um, and that's where we run into these little problems well you know and interesting I mean this is a I, at the place that I I don't work in the warehouse anymore mm-hmm. but the place I represent is an active warehouse it's all like that is also a shopping you know like yeah, gen- yeah. people restaurant owners and stuff come in there and shop and uh, um, you, you hire like I've been in management jobs inside that place and you hire so many young people to come in there and work, and they say they want a job, but somebody starts telling them what to do, yes. and it, it just smacks of authority. And like we have, and, and it, it can't put it in context. This is a job, and you actually are, a, you know, somebody's a subordinate at this right. job. Yeah. You know, it's like everybody in America wants to be the boss. Nobody wants to be. Not only that, you know, but everybody in America is entitled to be the right, boss. Right, and I'm like, you know. We gotta, you gotta, you gotta crawl before you walk, baby. That's just that's, the way it is. I think that's is. a big part of the conflict. I mean, there's real, there's all kinds of real fucked up stuff happening. Oh man, but many things escalate because nobody wants to be the the one who's backing down. Nobody wants to be the one who's taking the. Well, un- you don't want to, you don't want to be perceived by yourself even mm-hmm. as a person. So things escalate quick right. uh, because. Uh, the music I listen to or the magazines that I read tell me that I am entitled mm-hmm. and should be living this life. Mm-hmm. And that ain't the case. You got a lot I mean, of cats. entitled to anything. No. <laughs> no. I mean, yeah, yeah we, got it. we got it damn good here in America. But uh, if you uh, graduate high school, get a job, and day two purchase a Mercedes Benz because – that's what you perceive as what you should be doing, and no, no, no. I'm not harshing on Mercedes, but you you purchase a, an right. expensive car. You buy into the right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to pay the bill, mm-hmm. and but what people don't really realize is your life is what you make it. Mm-hmm. There is no, there is no way. Mm-hmm. It just is what it is. Uh, that became quickly apparent to me when I became a parent Mm -hmm. Um, because there's no book. You're never ready. It's like buying a house. Mm -hmm. You're never going to be ready to buy a house. You just, you get the house and then you deal with the shit. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't care if you got a mansion or a hovel every weekend, you're going to be doing something Mm -hmm. and there's going to be some money getting paid here. And that wasn't in the brochure. Yeah. You know, Um, and I think you've hit on something and I don't, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but no, like go, I was go. just about to say that, that I think we have to realize that we are the parents, you know, that it's like the, the Mexicans and the people saying, I'm not an American, this is y'all's right, problem. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's kind of like there's a certain amount of dissent that is about not taking responsibility for, you know, if, if, we're, if America is going to be, 
you know, what we want it to be, we've got to spend our weekends working on it. Right. You know? Yeah. And yeah. Not, like, but working collectively. Yeah. yeah. Like we got, yeah, we got to get together and work on this. And there's a level of, there's a lot of ways that I think people want to shirk responsibility and say, it's all just fucked. You know? Right. Like, uh, well, well, I mean, I, again, I consider it a Santa Claus or John Wayne effect mm-hmm. that eventually there will be this mysterious leader mm-hmm. who will rise to the ranks and say, well, this is what we're going to do and this is the way we react and blah, blah, blah. And everybody follows it. We can breathe a big sigh of <sighs> relief. Finally, mm-hmm. I've got some rules and I can depend on them. Mm-hmm. That isn't the case. Mm-hmm. That's not even that stuff that was back in the day was a big lie. Yeah. None of it made any sense and it wasn't true. Uh, that guy went home and he beat his wife and mm-hmm. got drunk and, and he left his, her with the kids. Fucked Marilyn Monroe. Right, <laughs> yeah, on the weekend. So, you know, let's, let's be realistic. And Rock Hudson was into dudes. Mm-hmm. So we have this uh, idea that's being perpetuated is we are our own worst PR firm. We, you know what I mean? We, mm-hmm. we, we keep it going. So if we were to somehow create the idea that, hey, we are working together to create this thing, which we really are, mm-hmm. whether we admit we'll it or not. destroy it together or create it together. Yeah. You know? and, and stop creating these uh, archetypes that we put into boxes. Get ourselves against. Right. Yeah. Like um, I've got a friend who's, a, and I tell this all the time, who's a doctor in, uh, in England. Uh, and... She, she's she's a surgeon, mm-hmm. but over there that job is like being a postman, right? You know. Mm-hmm. But if I walked in the room and I, I'm Doctor Hopkins, mm-hmm. there's some kind of reverence here in America mm-hmm. that we and uh, 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 that we give. Uh, same with a minister. I'm I'm Reverend mm-hmm. Hopkins. When I as soon as I say that, oh, I know what box I'm going to put you in right mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Good or bad, happy or sad. Yeah. Uh, so the thing that we don't realize is that we do that with people mm-hmm. and races and, and, and genders and ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's all untrue. And again, that's just a cat in a suit, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. He went to, he's got a few alphabets behind his name and, uh, he went to a few more years of school than you did. He's still paying out of the ass for that medical, uh, school, mm-hmm. but, it's just a cat in a mm-hmm. suit. Mm-hmm. And once we start treating each other like men and women, I think that would solve a lot of the other problems that we have with the trans community and LGBT, yeah. all of that. Because it's just people. It is. And and we all have more in common than there's more alikeness yeah. than difference. Yeah. You know? And, you know, you. it's interesting because we... we we ha- we do have so much of this tension that you're talking about. It makes for great glo- blood sport. Yes, but there is also these. There are these alternative art forms, you know, and like jazz c- does come out of the resolution of the conflict. Indeed, you know, and the tension. Yeah. And, and some of that tension is that we're leaving the script and we don't know what's going to happen. And can we make something harmonious out of chaos? Yeah, you know. And so in popular culture, we have an awful lot of chaos being put out. That's the loudest stuff. But then every so often, Andrew W.K. talks to Glenn Beck. <laughs> Did you see this? And it was a really Andrew good, W.K. Yeah, yeah, amazing conversation. Yeah. He's just—they're just talking. They're breaking it down mm-hmm. and saying, "Forget all of these labels and boxes and and whatever." And there's a need for the like sort of the 
all of nature is sort of this, you know, intensity and refraction, you know. Wow. Yeah. You know, and, and it's like we need to respect and enjoy that relief as much as we enjoy the tensity, you know, and the uh, tension. The peacemaking, you know, the moment yeah. where things do come into harmony, do come into accord. Appreciate you know? it. Yeah. yeah. Celebrate I mean, it. That, yeah. Well, we don't. We celebrate uh, the, the worst things ever on a 24-hour news cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we talk about it ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. How horrible. Let's, you know, every evening. Let's, we feed that, that. Oh, feed the beast. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, again, this is going to sound all hippy dippy, but I believe everything that we do is rooted in two things. It's out of love or fear. I agree with you. And, you know, I lock my doors in my house at night, not only because I love my family, but I'm afraid Mm -hmm. of what might happen if I don't. Mm -hmm. So that intention that we talked about before, this intention, if we have an intention to make things better, just the intention Mm -hmm to make things better would be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, I think the intention right now, unfortunately, whether it's good or bad, is my way mm-hmm. because of that's what's American. Right. I, I, I hear what you're saying, Curtis, mm-hmm. but right. my way. I want it my way. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like... You know, I had I had humility thrust upon me. You know, some people are, are and I'm not saying I'm the, I, I'm there all the time because as the benefits of, of developing that way of, of life show up, I lose it and yeah. get cocky and like I did this. Yeah. You know, but I got at a point in my life I got brought down and I got built back up by people yeah. who helped me and and I listened to them and they taught me stuff and they opened my eyes to things and. I kind of want that for everybody. Like, I feel like that's... Well, yeah. You, I don't want the, you know, I don't necessarily want the part where you have to you know, <laughs> crash and burn yeah, for yeah. everybody. But, but I mean, there's nothing to build character than a good swift kick in the pants, mm-hmm. man. I, you know, I, 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 for a minute, walked around with the peacock feathers and everything. Mm-hmm. I had my Ric Flair moment, you know. Woo! You know, uh, Space Mountain, baby. Uh, you know, I was pretty much some hot shit here in Richmond. But um, one of the things that that life just you know happens. So when we're confronted with adversity or whatever, I don't know what you went through, but I know t- 2012 and 13 kicked my ass, and I'm still recovering now from the things that happened then. <clears throat> but I think I'm a better person by it mm-hmm. because not until you uh, are, are faced with there being just the bottom, um, do you see things as they really are mm-hmm. and who and you find really all are. the other people yeah. in there, you know, that's shared like, you know, the, the big thing that I found and I, I forget what my train of thought was when I started off on talking about that, but the sense that I found other people who were also suffering there, you know, wow, were building yeah. themselves up. And and I had to get broken a few times, um, even in the midst of that, to start to see that, like, my connection to somebody else's suffering is ultimately a healing for thing you. for me. And yes. I can, yeah, for me and my ability to help them because I have, I truly do understand how they feel. I'm not just saying, right. oh, I, no, that's yeah, terrible. A little pat on you the know? hand. Right. Yeah. But I'm like, well, I hear somebody crying, 
and however they're crying, whether it's that they're yelling or it they, resonates you know, with you. And I and I hear their actual like I'm I'm not just you know waiting to talk like we were talking about at the beginning right, of this yeah. thing. I'm like, oh, I hear your heart, as they say. Right. You know, this is the psych. This woman actually said on Humans of New York. You know, I used to repeat back to people everything they were saying to me to show that to them that I was listening, and then I realized that I was just listening to their head and their mouths, right. and I really yeah. wasn't listening to their heart and. Um, it's a really active thing to just hold the space while somebody is it's, talking. What you know? you're talking about is something that's lacking right now, and that's empathy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> to empathize with a person is a very um, it's a very uh, uh, it's a humble humbling thing, mm-hmm. but it's also it's awfully uncomfortable. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh man. I mean, yeah. It's I mean. <laughs> Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. It's a, it's a it's a space that uh, I don't think anybody likes to go to. But I'll bring it back around to acting. That's uh, part of the whole bit. Mm-hmm. Is I am not doing what I'm supposed to do until I am very, very, very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. End of part one. Unless it makes me very, very uncomfortable. Um, well, I so so here we are halfway through it, and um, it ended up being really comfortable to sit and talk to DL, and uh, you know we keep it up for another hour and a half, <clears throat> which you will get unedited, unexpurgated, like the Benny Hill show. Is that right? Where does that get unexpurgated from? I don't know, something. So, yeah. All right, so we're going to post the other half of this, I guess, later in the week, probably. Um, Yeah, I think I'll do that. I'll 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 post it later in the week or maybe next Monday. I don't know, whenever I feel like it. So listen to the, you know, I hope you enjoyed this half of it. I hope you're interested to hear the rest of it. And I hope you're enjoying Tantric Conversation, which is available on iTunes download you can subscribe on your smart device or anything else that subscribes to podcasts you can subscribe it and uh if you're a really evolved human being you can get involved in the practice of donna which is the spiritual giving you know it's uh not to be confused with karma this is actually what when people say karma and they put it on a tip jar they really mean donna um because it's it's cool to give so um you know uh, make a little show of your appreciation of this podcast and um, i promise you i'll put it to good use such as uh you know i've been gradually getting better equipment and getting better at this so it's not an atrocity to listen to so it'll go towards that or maybe it'll go towards chinese food which is was something i eat a lot of i'm i'm looking at a big container of house special fried rice right now so I can't wait to finish doing this so I can stick it in my face. Namaste. You motherfuckers, you. <laughs>